Happy April Fool's Day. It's Eric and Kelly. We are back with you with another episode of Capital Stories. This is the podcast where we talk to real people about real issues and explore intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. We've got a bonus episode today on the first of the month. Yay, Yay bonus episodes. <laughs> we talk to uh, someone who's been around Capital for a few years, Lizzie Munson. Kelly, tell us about Lizzie. Well, you're in for a treat today, and also just a little word of caution before continuing this episode. Her testimony, Eric, I'd say it's pretty intense, and it's beautiful. We've had the opportunity and the joy of watching Lizzie grow in her faith over the last few years, and the things... Through things like addiction and homelessness Mm -hmm. and abuse and just... Lots of trauma that not everyone is exposed to in a life. You know, things right. that seem unbearable. She's she's seen it, mm-hmm. and yeah. she is she's persevered. Yeah, I would say that would be a great description of her faith journey. Yeah. She has pushed through, like you said, unbearable obstacles and yeah. challenges and difficulties. So it is. It really is a joy to yeah. listen to her explain her faith in Christ. We can't wait for you to listen to this episode. (laughs) And uh, my colleague Eric Dowd and I I get to interview Lizzie. So here is Lizzie on Capital Stories. I am so excited to be speaking with my friend Lizzie Munson today. Lizzie, thank you for being here and joining us. Yes, absolutely. I'm thoroughly excited. Lizzie's life is something that has been an inspiration to me on many levels. I've gotten to know her fairly well um, through lots of discussions that we've had over coffee or lunch or, or various different avenues. And um, I'm, I'm just thrilled that she's here that, to be able to tell us a little bit about the things that she's faced and the life that she's led and had and how she's grown in her relationship with God in the midst of all of it. I think to start off, tell me how you met your husband. Um, Steve and I... Uh, met because his best friend and my best friend were married. I didn't know her husband very well, but they were trying to set us up on this blind date for probably a good year. And there was a lot of resistance and stuff. And finally we just gave in because they'd just been begging us (laughs) so long. And um, lo and behold, this guy shows up that's not too bad looking and has daisies. (laughs) He has daisies of all things, and daisies are my favorite flower, and one single yellow rose, and I just knew right then that he was the one. I I was just convinced that somebody that came to me with daisies was going to be the person I would marry. <laughs> I didn't know it right then, but I imagined the whole time that we were talking and visiting that first day, we sat and just visited for eight hours and just talked about our lives and our dreams and by the end of it we were talking about what it'd be like to be old and gray and sitting on the porch in rocking chairs him with a shotgun and me with my mouth so (laughs) (laughs) um it was he was a great man and for five years we played the dating game and i say played because I had gone through a lot of abusive relationships in the past, um, many very physical, a lot psychological and emotional. 
And I was in fear that, that I was just going to mm. end up in another one of those relationships. And so for five years, I kept telling him to leave me alone, go away. Um, I use worse words than that, but um, just kept telling him to leave me alone, go away. And he would wait a couple of weeks and he would show up back on my doorstep and said he just thought he'd stop in and say hi. And I'd forget that I told him to go away and we'd visit again. And that happened for about five years. And then one day I was just sitting there thinking, man, I really like this guy. He hasn't laid a hand on me. He has never used his words to hurt me. And I really think I could spend the rest of my life with him. Mm. Um, we both, my husband and I, have a history of drug abuse. And um, that's kind of a, one of the dark sides of my life. And, and it continued with my husband. But one day it, I decided to that I would figure out some way that I could get into his house and just stay with him for a little while, like 24-7, to see if I could stand being around him that long. <laughs> and um, being as we were both addicts, I called him and asked him if he knew where to get any pain pills. And he said, well, I actually got a prescription, but I don't have any money. And I said, well, I get paid tomorrow, so how about I come over tonight and we'll pick him up in the morning. Well, two months later... We're sitting in the window well in his house. So I'd been staying there for two months after that occasion. And he said, we either need to split up, run, and never turn back, or we need to get married. And I instantly, just out of my mouth, without hesitation, and we're getting married. Hmm. And he goes, well, do you know when? And I just blurted out the first date that came to my mind and he had proposed on October 20th, which was his birthday. Mm. And I just boarded out November 26th because I wanted to be with this man for the rest of my life. I, I, everything about him, I just loved him and I grew to love him more and more every day. He just, he went from okay looking to just drop dead gorgeous <laughs> to me mm. and just an amazing person. He helped fix a lot of the things that other men had broken in me mm. and made it so that, you know, I, I had a little bit of belief in myself. I had a little bit of faith in myself. And he was a spiritual guy. And he's the one that kind of nudged me in that back in that direction because I had fallen far away from God. I didn't want anything to do with the God that I thought I knew. He started nudging me back in that direction. I will forever be grateful to him. Unfortunately, Steve took his life with pain pills in 2014 on September 25th. Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the worst days of my life. When mm -hmm. they called me and told me that he was gone, I just couldn't believe it. I just talked to him on the phone two hours earlier. Mm -hmm. It really put me into a darkness. I was already at that point using meth and heroin intravenously, and it became worse. I went into some pretty dark places to get drugs, very degrading, de demoralizing, put myself in situations that probably I should never have. I probably would, if it, any sane person would never have put themselves in that situation, you know, and it took me just to a place that I hope I never go again 
But I know that that monster is just sitting in my closet waiting to come out. And um, I just know with the faith that I have in God now that I can make it through anything. Mm. And I love my husband dearly. Mm. I'm so you, sorry. And I, oh, I promised Stephen that I would carry his name on because he was the last of his months in line. Mm. And so... I am the last of the Munsons mm -hmm. on my husband's side, and I intend to carry that with grace and honor to the day I die. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. If you don't mind, I want to, I want to scratch the surface a little bit on some of the things you said um, that make you kind of glossed over a bit. If you're if you're comfortable sharing, well, first of all, I want to hear more about you know how he he reintroduced you to God, and I want to hear what that was like and how that felt to kind of come back into faith. Um, but I also, if you're comfortable sharing, what was that day like when, when you got that call? And I just talked to him two hours before and, um, he promised me he wouldn't blow up my phone. And how long had you been married at this point? Almost just shy, two weeks shy of three years, but we were around each other 24 seven. So it felt like 10, mm. um, the only time we ever parted was for doctor's appointments, and that was like misery being away from each other that long even. And it was just, I mean, you think in a in a addicted relationship, a lot of them just nag and yell and scream and fight and bite, and but not me and Steve. Um, he was just so gentle and so kind. And it was his words and the way that he talked about his dad. He was best friends with his dad, and his dad was very religious. And just the way he would talk about his dad and his beliefs, that's what started nudging me in that direction, that maybe there was a God that wasn't the type of God that I had thought or grown up with, mm. you know, that maybe there was something better out there. And maybe I could believe in what, he was believing and live on his faith for a little while because mm -hmm. I certainly didn't have any at the time. Um, I'd just given up all hope of myself. I was convinced that I was going to ride or die is what we used to say, and that meant that we rode the wave of addiction till the day we died, that 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 for last that could be that shot you were taking could be your last shot, mm. you know, and it was okay because you did the ride or die, you know. Mm. So that's what I thought my life was until I met him, and he, and then when I got that phone call, oh my gosh! At first, it didn't make any sense to me what they were saying when they told me that. They had been working on him for 40 minutes and that they had no response. I thought it was somebody was kidding me. Mm. I thought they were playing a joke. And when I realized that they were being totally serious, it's like my heart just felt like it got ripped out of my chest. It felt like everything that I had was just gone and ripped from my hands and my felt like my soul was just dead. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to live. And I just remember getting to the hospital. They actually sent the grief counselor to come get me because 
I was so distraught that they didn't think that was a good idea for me to get on a bus and come down there in the condition I was in. So they sent the grief counselor out to come get me. And once we got there, um, I was about to walk through the door to see my husband when the security guard stopped me. And they told me, I'm sorry, you won't be able to see your husband right now. We just found an empty bottle of Roxycodones that were picked up two days ago, empty in a Kleenex box in the bathroom. We're going to have to perform a criminal investigation, and mm-hmm. you'll have to wait. That was so bad. That was just another terror to me, you know, just, oh, my God. I just was so close to him, and I just about was able to see him, and then I, that was just taken away from me, you know. And um, I had to wait seven hours just down the hallway knowing his body was right there. Mm. And at that time, you know, it's like my faith was still weak, but it was, I had gotten to the point where it's like the God that my husband believed in was a God that I liked. It was nothing like the God that I thought existed, you know. I had grown up with a God that was angry, that used his hand to put you in your place and would punish you to just in terrible ways. Um, That's the God that I grew up with. Um, I didn't see him as a loving person. I just thought of him as a punisher. He was the punisher. And I certainly didn't want to die and go to the Punisher, you know. Mm. But I had a belief now in this whole different God. And I just remember what he told me. Um, When his dad died, he died in an accident up Spanish Fork Canyon. He was caught in a microburst wind that threw him, like made him fishtail is what they said. Mm could estimate from the markings on the road, and he ended up going straight down a 50-foot cliff. But I remember the day that he was told that. This is what he told me is, I knew that something was wrong in my soul, but at the same time I felt this peace that my father was okay. Mm. And I had that same feeling in the hospital. I was torn apart, but at that moment it's like I just had this peace come over me like like he was saying I'm okay now I'm out of pain and I don't have to suffer anymore he did go through a lot of suffering he had he was diabetic and um, at the end he had a lot of uh, illness uh, we were in the hospital four separate times well he was in the hospital four separate times three of those I was with him um, and each one of them were up to a month at a time, and they wow. were trying to clean out all the ulcers and abscesses. And altogether, there was like nine that they had to keep cleaning out, and they'd clean them out and stitch them up and send them home, and then he'd be back a month later. And we finally went to the last hospital before, well, we went to American Fork Hospital, which Man, they were awesome. They, instead of stitching him back up after, they had us use packing tape, and those things finally healed for, like, I I think it was like eight months before he ended up back in the hospital that last time. And 
by that time I was so, so involved in my addiction that I couldn't even stand the thought of being in the hospital because I wouldn't be able to get high. I wouldn't be able to, you know, get my fixes. And I was so bad, I needed it. You know, I had to have it. So I stayed away from the hospital that last visit. And I had regrets, but I've grown to know that, you know, I'm not the one that decided to take the drugs and put them in. I mean, I didn't take and put the uh, Roxy in his body. He did that. That was his choice. I made my choices. I did my things that I sometimes hate myself for, but I didn't kill him. And I thought I did for the longest mm. time. I blamed myself and thought that I had killed him, that I was, I might as well have been the hand that did it because uh, he had always told me that if I didn't love him or he felt like I didn't love him, that he had no reason to live anymore. Mm. And I realized that that was kind of an unfair thing of him to do, kind of selfish. Um, I've grown to just appreciate the little things that were good. Mm. You know, I take all out of that relationship everything that was beautiful and good and pure. And I remember the bad things too, because if I don't remember those bad things, then and I forget that I could go back into that darkness so easily. So I leave mm. the door open a little bit, but I don't go through it, mm. you know? That's a lot to carry. Yeah. But eventually you went to rehab? Yes. Um, I went to, actually I went to jail first. Um, I was like, t t I was supposed to turn myself in and, I was told that if I got high enough, they wouldn't take me. And I wanted to test that out, so I did. I got really, 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 really buzzed, and I can kind of remember it. Little bits and pieces, and it's embarrassing, some of it. Um, but so I went to jail. I was only supposed to do 30 days, but because I didn't end up in jail, um, I had to do 180. And I was convinced I'd do the 180, get out, and just do one last blast and just have it done. I wasn't going to live past my 50th birthday because if I did, I would have somebody just fix me up a hot, what they call a hot shot. And that's just something that you don't want because it's bad. Like it's way too much drug in a, in a shot that's intended to kill you. Wow. So, and I had a contract with somebody that would do that for me so that I didn't have to live past 50. Wow. And I was just convinced I'd just do my sentence of jail and then get out and that would happen and I'd be done. But somewhere in jail, I decided that I'm going to go to all the meetings and I'm going to go to church. I don't care what church it is. You know, I went to Catholic Spanish church. I went to the Catholic church. I went to the Mormon church. I went to... I think they had Jehovah's Witness, but somewhere in there, all of a sudden I just started getting this little glimmer of hope. And and I think it was when I went to the Catholic Church, and I was really pissed off, and I just started yelling at the priest afterwards. I just says, how can there be a God? And I was just going off. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was angry. Mm -hmm. He says, do me a favor. He's stayed calm through it all. 
And he said, do me a favor. You go back to your cell and you talk to God like you just talked to me. Mm. And then I want you to open your Bible and just let it fall open, point, and read. And I promise you tonight you'll get your answer. Well, two weeks before this, my landlady had thrown all my stuff out. So I had nothing left. Now, before when I got into jail, I worried about who would steal what, what would be gone, and who would be gone, who, you know, either by, like, just gone off to do something else or actually dead. And I got tired of that. And then when I found out my landlord had thrown everything away and everything was gone, I was just like, it's a perfect time to start over, maybe. Mm. But I was wow. still angry, and that's what I was getting angry at the priest about. And I was just yelling, him, why would God allow something like this to happen? Well, lo and behold, I came back, and the scripture that opened to basically talked about how there's birds in the air and the, the fowl of the earth and how he knows that it's important for us to have food. It's important to first have clothing. and it, But we're all more important than that. And then that, and I was just like blown away because I had done the little, little pray and slap the book open and read, and it never worked for me before, but that time it did. It answered my question. It's like, okay, so I'm more important than all the stuff that just got thrown away. Wow. And I decided then that maybe I just need to give this all a chance. As long as I can believe in the God that my husband introduced me to, then I, I can do this. So mm. I was happy in jail. I was happy, really happy. Like I was tell people I'm fabulous. And people started to worry. And I heard amongst the guards that they had said, be careful of this one. She's a little too happy. Mm. <laughs> and I stayed that way. Um I started writing letters to the judge and asked him for an early release, but into a treatment center so that I could get treatment and possibly maybe live past 50, you know? And um, I was released at 41 days in jail, and I had to stay in jail till 55 days because there wasn't a bed for me till then. Hmm. So I was just counting the days after 41, and every day was just like... Dang it, you know, hmm. not today, I guess. But that day came, and I remember I'd just gone and talked to um, one of the counselor guys at the jail, and I came back, and and the guard, her name was America, and she said, Munson. And I, I thought I was in trouble, and she said, then she, I turned, and I looked at her, and she says, roll them up. And I said, is this for real? <laughs> is this for real? She said, yep, roll them up. And I was really careful and stuff. I had gotten to know this guard because every morning and every night before she left, I would ask her about her day. And she on the way out, she told me that she was so grateful that somebody was sincere mm -hmm. and really asked her and listened to how her day was. I found out that she had an allergy, and that's why she got pissed off at people when they shook their bedding out wrong, hmm. out too hard. Um, I found out that she had a daughter that had just moved out, and she was now an empty nester, and I related to it. And I grew to really 
like that guard. And mm. someday I'm going to walk back in that jail and say hi to her, but not because I'm in jail, but because mm. I can go in and, and maybe be the person carrying the message to somebody in jail. I did rehab and I did sober living. And now I do meetings. Like I used to do them on a daily, but I'm down to where I go about once a week to the most important me meeting to me, which is heroin anonymous. That is the, my demon, and I don't ever want to go back to it. So I do go to Heroin Anonymous once a week, and I work. Yeah. It's incredible to see how how God's just continued working through all of that pain and, and mess um, to where he's brought you now. And that's even like just the surface of the mess. You know, I, you've got so many other hardships and just things that are in my mind, unbearably hard to face. And I want to, if, if you're comfortable, I want to transition to another story that I want you to tell us about okay. if you're comfortable. Um, yeah. Can you tell us about your daughter? Yes. So my daughter came from a date rape. It was one of those moments that when, when the guy got off of me, I knew I was pregnant, but I also knew this baby wasn't mine. I started having dreams about this woman, and every time I dream it, it would be like Saturday's Warrior or like a stage, a stage <laughs> play. But it was a nursery, in the spotlight, and I could never get past the spotlight when the baby was crying, never. And it was just it would tear my heart apart. And this woman would walk by me, and each time she walked by me, she just brought this peace into my heart. And she walked right through the light and went and picked up the baby and would turn. And for the first little while, I couldn't quite make out her face or see it. But eventually, she fully turned around, and I saw her, saw her, full this woman. And um, I was going through an adoption service, and, and they had packets that I looked at um, to choose families. And I had gone through, I think, eight and it was the ninth one, and I didn't even have to look twice. It was the woman in oh my, my dreams. Goodness. And that's who Sarah's mom is now today. She's now a full-grown woman. I recently found out where she was. and I So this was 20-plus years ago when yeah. your daughter was born. Yeah. And she was adopted right away. Yes. Um, oh, and she was adopted by two occupational therapists. And it's just amazing to me because in her life, she's ended up needing occupational therapists mm. as she grew older. She's got the same disabilities as I have, only I, what I imagine are more extensive because of the way it's explained to me. I have a hard time learning and understanding and keeping information Sometimes you have to explain things to me like more than once in a couple of different ways before I comprehend it totally. And then like I could forget some of it like two weeks from now. And so I have to have it explained again. And it gets frustrating and I don't like talking about it much, but it's something that I've lived with my whole life. And your daughter has this too. Yes. From what I, what I can tell in the letters that I received – Yes, she has the same disability, and she's uh, and she struggles with it. And I think it's more extensive. 
So you're in touch with the, with her, with her parents? With, with her parents. Like throughout the whole adoption, that was the agreement. I got pictures of her till she was three. So I have, I had pictures of her till she was three. But then after three, did you, you had, did you lose contact? No, they would write letters still. Oh, we would okay. contact each other through letters every year. Um, I lost contact. My lack of like mm. communication stopped when I was in my addiction. Mm. And I think it ended up being like a six year gap. Mm. It might be less than that, but I think it was six years. No, it wouldn't have been that much, about four, four years, because my husband and I wrote her the last letter, and then I lost contact. So it would be about three or four years that I lost contact. I started looking for her, and I didn't know where to go. And then finally somebody mentioned something that they had found on Facebook. And so I went in and found one of those adoption sites that help you find your adopted whatever, or, um, yeah. And I had been looking for three years for different avenues to try and contact her. I had contacted the agency and tried to figure stuff out. And since it was a open but confidential, I couldn't get any information from them. I got on this site, gave them little pieces of information, and within five hours they were writing me back asking me more specific questions. And I'm like slowly starting to realize, oh, my gosh, they have found her. Hmm. And they had, and I, I suddenly got a flood of pictures. I mean, this girl got a life beyond anything I could have provided for her at that moment. And it's all because of that little voice in my head that told me, you're pregnant, but she's not yours. You're just the vessel to get her here. Mm. And it was hard to give her, like, I just remember, like, when they took her from my arms, it was almost the same agony that I ended up feeling again when Steve died. Mm. It was, but it was a joyful agony at that time. It was like bittersweet. And I'm just wishing I could be a fly on the wall. Um, I announced to her family, they got the announcement on Halloween that they were having a baby and they got her on Thanksgiving day. And I was just like, I wished I could have been a fly on the wall. I know they, Wrote a letter later saying that, you know, Halloween and Thanksgiving were never going to be the same holidays ever again. Because mm -hmm. the one brought them the, the best news ever. And the other brought them the little angel. I'm so proud of her. And I just want to meet the woman she's become. And, and I don't want to step in and be mom because I'm not. I just want to step in and be a friend. Somebody that, you know, maybe just stays in the distance that she can talk to once in a while. Mm -hmm. So you, you, they found her on Facebook and, and you tried to, to step back in. Yes. Um, I wrote a letter directly to them because I had found their address. And in that letter, I had asked for a meeting. Um, and I received a letter back that was very disappointing, um, that she was not ready, is not ready to meet me yet. And that's kind of hard because I did include with it like a little bit of my past. And I, I wonder sometimes if maybe I shouldn't have because, you know, maybe they're afraid to meet me because of, 
the stigma with drug addicts and stuff like that. But I no longer am a drug addict. I've got six years of recovery now, and mm. it's been hard. But, man, if I would have known it was this cool to be sober, I would have done it a long time ago. <laughs> 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 I didn't even know I was getting – it was such a slow process getting into the addiction that I didn't realize how quick how, – how down in the depths of hell I was mm. until I got out. Wow. I I don't have the disappointment that I had when I first got that letter now. So it's kind of hard to to put it into words, but there was just a disappointment and I just, you know, it's like I always ask God, why what is your purpose for doing this to me? What am I supposed to learn? Today that's what I ask. And then, you know, I always think let things happen first. Because we all future trip. We all think of what's going to happen. Like, you know, I have no clue what any day is really going to be like. So I tell myself all the time, let it happen first. Mm. God knows the big picture you don't. Mm -hmm. And if I do that, but I do the footwork, it, I, I always end up in a good place. Maybe not the easiest, on the easiest path to that place, but I always end up a little bit better, a little bit stronger, and a little bit closer to God. Hmm. I remember with vivid clarity being on the phone with you a couple of times. One, when you were telling me that you had found your daughter. Um, you were very excited because you had reached out to them and you were waiting for a response. You had a lot of hopeful expectations mm -hmm. at that time. And then a little while later on the phone, and I can, I can even picture myself standing in my kitchen um, talking to you on the phone when you told me that you had received the response and they, the response was no, that she didn't want to meet with you right now. I asked you how you were feeling and you said, I'm okay. And you didn't say it like, a, like in a flippant, you know, like platitudinal way, like, I'm okay, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It was like, I'm okay. Like you meant it. And I, I, if you could share a little bit about like, what was going on mentally, emotionally, spiritually at that moment that led you to say those words the way that you did? It's kind of hard to put into words what happens in my head. But the best description of any moment, but especially that moment of disappointment, I do remember when you, you kind of brought the, the anguish and the disappointment I definitely had expectations, and they were blown. I did ask God those questions that I asked. It's like the three things that I always ask now is, what are you trying to teach me? What can I learn most from this? And where, what can I do to get to a better place than I feel right now? Mm. I don't know, like, a, I just remember a sense of peace because I know someday I'm going to see her, either here or, you know, when I die. Mm. One way or another, I will meet her. And that's what I think I was feeling right at that moment is that I knew I'm going to be okay because it will, it just will be okay. I don't know. 
It just seems to always work out, and I always end up being okay. Mm. And it doesn't feel like it sometimes in those dark, dark moments and those hard trials that I've gone through. It definitely doesn't feel like I'm going to get through it. I feel like, like I wonder, am I strong enough? Am I going to pull through this? Can I do this? You know? And I always think of how is this going to make me a better person? What can I do? What can I take from this situation and make myself better from it? And that that's where I was at, I think, in my head when you asked me if I was okay. And I, I felt okay. I'm so glad that at least I get this opportunity, you know, to to have been able to turn my life around and and have this relationship with God that is so much different than the one I had with when I was a child, you know, yeah. or even a teenager or a young woman. It seems like it's grown stronger. It's almost like the best way I can describe it is like we're talking right now and I've opened the airways for God to hear what I'm saying at all times. Mm. So he's listening to this conversation we're having. He knows and he knows what's going on in my life, and and he puts this peace and calm in my heart, even in the hardest of times. I may not feel it sometimes when I get angry because it's hard, like really hard, especially when I was like homeless recently <laughs> in sobriety. Um, yeah. That was crazy. Uh, I had to leave my uh, I had to leave my apartment because my roommate had threatened to kill my dog and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore. He had done some other things and just was invading my space and, and everything. And I just needed to get out of there. And so I left without a plan and, um, I had put my stuff in a storage unit and just went with it. Stayed with friends for a few weeks, kind of overstayed my welcome with friends. It was a friend who offered to, Give, let me use their storage unit. There was nothing really in it except for a couple of totes, she said, and she'd be more than happy to do it for $20 a month. And so I took that offer, and then when it came time for the payment, it was not $20. It was like $289, I believe. Because there was a lot of money that was owed previously. From previously, yes. Oh, yeah. And so I actually did pay that one payment, um, to keep the storage unit. And then things started getting really weird. And, um, my friend's husband came out of prison. Well, he got out of prison, um, and ended up with the key to the storage unit. When I found out that he, he went back to prison and took the keys with him. So at this point, you, didn't have any access to the storage unit. Right. No like access. The 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 person who owned the unit was in prison with the key. Right. Um and you were I thought there was no find, hope to and get and they were making payments on it either. No. And I found out that it wasn't twenty dollars a month. It was actually $130 a month for the storage unit. And if you're even late one day that ups it like $5 a day afterwards. And so I ended up late, like by four days. 
And I went in to go make the payment and explain the situation about having no key to get in. And then I asked them if they had a key and they're like, no, each person has their own personal key. So we don't have access to the units at all. I was like, well, crap, you know, what am I supposed to do? It was a lot more upset than this. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I was pretty upset at trying to figure out how to figure out the storage unit. I think I remember calling you a couple of times really upset about yeah. what to do. And, and then I went, the, went to, back to the storage unit with the intention of paying the storage fee. And the lady said, don't just, if you don't have the keys, just don't let it go to auction and then bid on it. I said, well, when's the auction going to be in? She says, well, if you let it go and it goes, it's going to go to, our, it's going to go into our property, become our property on this date. And that will make the auction like two months from then. So I had three months to wait and three months to anticipate and three months to future trip on what was going to happen with this storage unit. And three months without your stuff. And three yeah. months without my stuff. And um, I, through the homelessness, I was bouncing couch surfing friend to friend. I actually kind of hurt a friendship from overstaying my welcome there. Um, and ended up in the rescue mission, which really helped me. And then I remember finally getting the apartment and it was almost six months to the day from becoming homeless that I got the apartment. I think it was like, three days later, like three days over six months. But you but didn't have any of your stuff to put in it. Stuff. I know. <laughs> I ended up buying a cot from Walmart, and I was sleeping on that for two months um, before the storage unit bid came up. So the day came, and I just remember being all like, I have only have $300. I hope nobody overbids me. And... Hmm. My friends said, start low and stay low. So, like, if somebody bids 10, you bid 11. If somebody bids 12, you bid two more dollars over that. Keep it low, though, then you have room to work with. So, I just put a bit of $10 in, and the time went by, and bada boom, bada bing, I got the storage <laughs> for 10 bucks. <laughs> and I think I called you right after and just how told you how yeah amazed I, I was with um how i was able to get it for 10 bucks and that would have been a lot cheaper than what i was going to have to pay because at that point i had two months plus overdue fees and plus some other penalty fees from them from their other storage unit so it was ended up it would have ended up being like 600 and something dollars all together, and I got the th got it all for ten bucks. But do you remember you actually had the key? Oh, you have the key right now. Yes. I carry it to remind me. And so she, oh. so kind of tying back to those questions where you're like, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Um, <laughs> like you told me. And you're like, the only thing I can think of, like why I could forgot that I had the key yes. was because God knew I was going to get it for $10. <laughs> right. That's right. I do remember <laughs> that now. It's completely blanked out of my mind. But I was going through my keys trying to figure out whose was whose. And then I saw that key and I knew it. I was like, 
you've got to be kidding me. I had the key the whole time. But I think the lesson I learned from this was that, yeah, God does stuff for a reason. Sometimes it's dirty, rotten, and lousy. But it always turns out okay and even better than what you expect because I got it for 10 bucks and I would have had to pay 600 and something dollars by this point for my stuff in storage. I was really, really excited. And I mean, I was apprehensively excited at first because it's like I thought I'm going to lose all my stuff again. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to start over again. And I got it back for 10 bucks. And when I went in to collect the unit, the lady was there that had suggested. She says, Well, you listen to my suggestion. I'm glad. And she goes, I forgot that the storage unit wasn't in your name. If it had been, they wouldn't even let you bid on it. Oh. So you're lucky that it was in your friend's name. And she says, I've never seen anybody get their first storage unit for $10. And I I knew why I got it for that much because I had been praying. I had been praying hard. Don't let me lose all my stuff again. I already learned that lesson once. I don't need to learn it again. You know, I'm telling God this. It's like, we already went through this once. I got it. You know, I know I'm more important than my stuff, but it's kind of nice to have, <laughs> you know. But um, it turned out okay. I just, even in that moment, it's like I, I had to keep telling, remind myself, God knows the big picture. You don't let it happen first, mm. you know. Don't sit there and dwell on losing your storage unit. Don't dwell on whether you're going to get it back. Just live in the moment, you know. That's something that I've learned to do, that I'm practicing. Let me say mm. I'm practicing this, mm -hmm. living in the moment. Because right now is all we've got. Mm -hmm. Right this second is the most important thing that is going on, that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. You know, yesterday's gone. And the future is not here. So right now, this moment is the most important moment. And you mm -hmm. treat it with that. You treat it with the respect. Each moment, treat it with respect and be excited for what may come. Because as long as you're putting your next foot, right foot forward, the only thing that can come out of it is good because God's putting you in places that he wants you. Mm -hmm. I really believe that with mm -hmm. all my heart. And it's crazy to think... When we were talking earlier, just the transition of my God, you know, I really honestly thought that God used to be the punisher that, I mean, that you were going to either get hit, slapped around, spanked, all the things that men have been bad to me a bit with, verbally abusive. That's what I imagined that, that God was because that's all mm. I knew in men. Mm. And so I'm so grateful to my husband for making me realize there's some good men out there. Because then I started looking around. Mm -hmm. After he died, I mean, not for a while, but I am now, I look around for that that good guy, you know? A few things are kind of standing out to me. You know, um, you brought up that whole story about being homeless again just recently in sobriety and all of that. you know, And that that happened after this moment, you know, earlier with your daughter where the, the credits could have rolled on this movie of your life and it seems like you were in a good place and God had kind of made you healthy emotionally and, and you know, with your addiction and there's a nice little bow on that moment of your life. And then, nope, you were homeless again after that. And there's no, 
I don't know. It just it gets me thinking that we don't know what the future holds, and we are guaranteed in this life we'll have trouble. Um, and even through all the troubles, you've still managed to find God through it and and trust in Him through it. It seems and and w- you know whether you protest or not, but you you don't question. It seems to me His goodness. No. Mm. It was just the peace that my husband always seemed to have, like a calm with just, I can't even describe it. It was just the most amazing, I mean, it put me into a place that I would imagine what heaven would be like, Mm. you know, because he just had this way when I get upset, start getting passionate with my words and getting kind of angry with my words, he would just talk quietly and peacefully and he'd just bring my temperament down and he'd bring me to that peaceful place. And I want to continue that. I want to have that. And that's what I strive for in every situation is to find that one peaceful place that my husband used to bring me to, Mm. you know, it's just beautiful, this beautiful space. At first, when I got sober, because I still wasn't convinced about the whole God thing and stuff, um, my, you know, they ask you to make a higher power of your own understanding. And that was Steve for me. But as time went on and on, I started feeling that there was something much, much bigger than him that was even more powerful and more intense than Steve ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just a little teeny, tiny, like star in a galaxy compared to the mm-hmm. moon that I feel this other presence had. And then I just, I can't deny that there's a God up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's put his hand in my life so many times. I I actually had overdosed in 2016 and I had an afterlife experience that was really like crazy and peaceful. And my husband told me that I needed to get my life together, that I needed to figure out a way to get out of the darkness that I was in. And I think were his exact words and find a way to get into the light because in the summer of 2018, I was going to start making a difference in a lot of people's lives. I thought some big booming event was going to happen in 2018. But no, that's when my sobriety was really starting to boom off. I had almost a year of sobriety by then. People knew me at the club. I went to the Alano Club a lot. People that I had no clue what your name is, but hi, knew mm. my name. Now here I am doing a podcast that who knows who's mm. going to hear it. And Steve was right, you know. I found my way out of the darkness into this light. I hope I'm making a difference in mm. people's lives. Yeah. So I definitely think God. I really believe that he's in every step I take. And every word that comes out of my mouth, I just hope, I know he's speaking through me. You know, he's guiding me on what to say to that one person that's listening mm. yeah. to open yeah. that door for them and give them a glimmer of hope. Cause there is light. There is this huge light bulb at the end of the tunnel mm. of darkness. And it is possible to walk it out 
just one step at a time, one day at a time, even one moment at a time. Sometimes it's just hard, but you, me, and both Eric's, hmm. we all can make it through if we just keep putting that next right foot forward and walk with God. You know, don't walk in front of him. Don't mm. walk behind him. Walk beside him and let him be your friend. It's mm. beautiful. Lizzie, before we stop recording, I have to ask you one more question. How old are you? I am 52 years old. 52. Yes, I'm 52. So, yes, I la- live past my 50th <laughs> birthday. And you're still going strong. Yep. And I don't plan on ending it anytime soon. I'm enjoying grandbabies and... <laughs> Life is good. I love to hear that. Lizzie, thank you for for your vulnerability to share um, and just for encouraging me and our listeners today. You bet. I hope it reaches somebody. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Lizzie, for sharing with us your incredible an inspiring story. You know, as often happens after we push the button to stop recording, we keep talking and more comes up. And one thing that Lizzie was talking about after we were done recording was just how integral her community was through her her journeys over the past several years and through addiction. She she made a, she wanted us to make a point of that, just to call out how special um, and how how impactful her communities were here at Capital and also her heroin anonymous group. Just what a lifeline. Those were from God. We'll be back on April 15th with our discipleship series. So our next episode, we're going to be talking to Tim and Suzanne about worship. So we'll talk to you then.